And I think that's what being competitive is all about. Like you going out there and just continually optimizing and being solution focused and having that growth mindset. Welcome to the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Each interview, we talk to leaders who differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. These conversations lead to thought-provoking idea sharing and growth accompanied by entertaining storytelling. Welcome along on our journey to lifelong learning, improved performance, and a look inside the competitive mindset. Check out the Competitive Mindset website for a full catalog of episodes and interview review articles. You can find the site at competitive-mindset.com or through our social media at CompetitivePod. The Greatest Games Podcast interviews coaches of all levels about the greatest games they have ever been a part of. Chris and Brian post two episodes per week that explore these great games and also takes a dive into each coach's journey and some lessons that they have learned along the way. Catch The Greatest Games Podcast on all podcast platforms as well as thegreatestgames.podbean.com. Tyler, welcome to the Competitive Mindset. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, let's jump right in and tell me about your journey and how it's led you to where you are right now and what you're doing. Well, right now I'm a mental performance coach and getting here was obviously a journey in itself. I would say everybody's life is a is a journey, but it all started when I was a college summer baseball coach and I realized that I really liked coaching the mental game more than I liked coaching the physical side of the game. So my boss at the time, I worked with the Illinois Indians Travel Organization right outside of Chicago in Mount Prospect, Illinois. And the the guy who owns it, he knows this guy, Brian Kane, who is a mental performance coach. And he goes, hey, do you follow this guy, Brian Kane? I'm like, no, I've never even heard of him. He goes, oh man, well, you might want to look into him. I mean, like if you're into the mental side of the game, then uh, you might want to know who this guy is. So Brian Kane had this immersion weekend where I went down there with him and hung out with him for three days and saw the mental side of the game and how to coach it, how to teach it, and how to really live it. And from there, I was like, all right, this is definitely what I want to do. And I started looking into programs and I got into the TCU master's degree for sports psychology, went to TCU and graduated from there and then started working with teams all around the country, like University of Notre Dame, University of Oklahoma, University of Northern Colorado, University of Maine, all with mental performance and helping teams optimize their confidence, culture, communication, and leadership. So that's where it started for mental performance. But before that, I was I was coaching baseball since I was 19 years old. When I was 19, I was coaching 15-year-olds. And I think that's what makes – that's what gives me so much uh, – experience and different places to pull from is that I was a coach since I was 19 years old. And not only that, but I was a head coach. I was an assistant coach. I coached 12 year olds. I coached professional, I've coached professional athletes. Um, so everything in between as well. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. Do you remember the one time where you transitioned from the tactical side to the mental side of coaching? Cause I think a lot of people at a younger age get into it because they love the sport and they love, you know, the joy and that competition can bring. And then as we progress in it, we understand the value in the psychology side of sport and how important that is. Do you remember like a specific instance where you were working with a player or a team or something happened? And can you share that with us? Yeah, so that goes back to when I was a I, I played baseball at Indiana State and I was a left handed pitcher and I tore my labrum and I went through 15 months of rehab and then I tore it again. 
And that's what caused me to hang them up. And then I wound up becoming an undergraduate assistant coach. But while I was rehabbing, my dad handed me the mental game of baseball by Harvey Dorfman. And I started reading it and I actually only got about halfway through it. I thought the book was brutal and I, I don't know what happened. I might've thrown it out. I might've just left it somewhere on a bookshelf, but uh, I didn't actually finish it. Then I went back to school and I was telling my friend about how I had read some of it. And she's like, oh man, you got to read Mind Gym by Gary Mack. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll check it out. And so I read that and that's really what got me into the mental game is that book by, by Gary Mack. And from there, I started doing all this research on visualization and mental imagery. And I looked up, man, must have been, it was a whole like three inch binder worth of articles that I had read on visualization and mental imagery. And that's really what got me into it, I would say, is, is that book Mind Gym. And then from there, just my own research on visualization, because that's, I think, what got me to the division one level of sports. I didn't throw that hard. I mean, I was at lefty. I threw 80 to 83 miles an hour. And, but I had a sub three ERA in college. And I truly believe that it's because I could visualize the pitch that I wanted to throw on the next pitch, like better than most. So that's what, that's what really intrigued me so much about the mental game. I really can appreciate what you just mentioned with the mental side, taking you a little bit further. And can you talk to me a little bit about the first time you participated in competition and how you use the mental side with that. And, and I'm, you know, I'm not sure at a young age, you may, maybe necessarily knew you were using the mental side, but how you were incorporating at a young age, reflecting back on it now. I always talk about my dad when it comes to this, because my dad would always tell me he was a big golfer. So we would go golf all the time and out on the course, you know, I would get so frustrated playing golf. And my dad would always tell me, he's like, don't let the game beat you don't let the game beat you. And that was really, without even knowing it, my first dive into the mental side of the game, because I always talk about that now. Like there's two opponents out there, yourself and the game. And he was teaching me that, you know, when I was eight years old and teaching me to take a breath. Another, another story I have with my dad is that we were camping one night and same, t same thing. I was like between the ages of eight and 10. can't remember exactly what age I was, but I was young and we were sleeping. We like zipped our sleep, our sleeping bags together, you know, to make one big one. And I'm literally shivering in the middle of the night. And I'm like, dad, I can't fall asleep. I'm complaining to him. And he goes, sit up, sit up. And so I sit up and he's looking at me. He goes, take a deep breath. And I go, <sighs> he goes, look, you stopped shivering. And I was like, whoa, I did. He's like, your breath has so much power. He's like, use your breath and go back to sleep. <laughs> and I was like, all right. So I just like concentrated on my breathing and, you know, stopped shivering and fell back to sleep. And now I talk about the power of the breath all the time in game. And my dad sort of taught me that when I was super young and I didn't even know it. Then, you know, when I get out there and I'm competing in a game, it always came back to, my breath and, and visualizing and understanding that, you know, it's all about the next pitch and being solution focused and having that, that next play mindset. So competing in the game is something you just referenced. And I think it's very easy to make parallels to game, youth sports, high school or intercollegiate sports. But in your career now, how do you use competition to help you succeed? Oh, man. I mean, I'm just ultra competitive, I would say, in every in everything that I do, um, I just really want to 
be the best version of myself. Like my mission in life is to listen, learn, and apply. So listen to others, listen to myself, learn from others, learn from myself, and then apply what I've learned from others and myself. You know, I think there's an old quote that says something along the lines of like, learning without action is not really learning. All right. So if you if you if you aggregate all this knowledge, but you don't take action on it, you're not going to get any results. And did you truly learn anything if you're not taking action on it? So that's my big thing is application. Like if I'm going to listen to somebody else or listen to myself, then and I'm truly going to learn it, I'm going to have to apply it. And I think that's what being competitive is all about. Like you going out there and just continually optimizing and being solution focused and having that growth mindset. Oh, I love the solution focus part of that. Now, can you talk to me a little bit about success and how the definition of that has changed for you over the course of your life? Yeah, so I think I'm a little uh, unique in the fact that I've never really seen success as, you know, material things like cars, money, and um, stuff like that. But I've always sort of seen it as just becoming the best version of yourself. And again, I don't know where that came from. And that's, I think, you know, when I was younger, I was four years old and I had this nanny from Ireland and she came over for my sister's wedding like 20 years later. And I was telling her about everything. And she goes, oh my gosh, even when you were four years old, you were so driven. And that makes me think, I'm like, man, is it learned or like, are you born that way? You know, but I, I truly think you can learn to do anything and you can build any skill you want. But I've always sort of had that mindset of just being um, solution focused. And, and that's where I think success truly lies. Like success is knowing, my definition of success is knowing what you want and then doing what you have to do to get what you want. But you first have to decide what you want in life. And I think that's where a lot of people are kind of getting lost right now out there is that there's so many options to choose from that they don't pick one because there's so many out there and so it's like when i got into mental performance i literally asked myself i said what am i willing to do for the rest of my life like die doing you know and that really helped me decide to be a mental performance coach i'm like oh man like that made it a lot easier you know when i thought about my life as a whole what do i want to be a, become a master at because i kind of always seen myself as a jack of all trades master of none and i'm like i don't want that anymore you know I, I don't want to be good at everything i want to be great at one thing like bruce lee said like i'm not scared of the man that knows ten thousand kicks i'm scared of the man that's practiced one kick ten thousand times um so it, it kind of gets back to that and that's how my so yeah i guess i didn't really have a definition of success until about five years ago six years ago but yeah my definition of success is know what you want and then do what you have to do to get what you want yeah i think a lot of people get paralyzed by the do what you have to do phase because there's a fear there or they don't necessarily know there's a discomfort because obviously it's something that's new to them so let's yeah go or they don't have or they don't have the the habits set up right because doing what you have to do is all about discipline like my definition of discipline is have a plan and stick to it right like that is doing what you have to do but so many people lack the habits necessary to actually be disciplined and so that's a long road 
but once you set up those habits in life I mean overall you're just happier and yeah more successful quote unquote okay you kept keep mentioning these definitions which I love because I, I'm similar in that regard can you talk to me a little bit about how you came up with these definitions and how you keep them organized and then I guess the follow-up question would be is do you ever morph them or adjust them uh I would say that yeah, I, I do morph them over time. And I think the ones that I've talked about so far are ones that I talk about very often. That's why they're kind of just rolling off the tongue, I guess. But uh, I think definitions are so important because we, like me and you, could be defining a word completely different. You know, and if we were to create a team, we would need to be on the same page. And if, say, one of our one of our words that we always bring up is family, right? Oh, we, we got to be a family, guys. We got to be a family. Well, like if you don't have a definition of some for family, some people would literally jump on a grenade for their family while other people would throw a grenade at their family, right? So like we have to define that word so that it makes sense to both of us. And that's why it's so, so important to do that. And with success, uh, I've, I've always said, like if you don't define what success is for yourself, then somebody else will for you. And that's a dangerous place to be when you don't know your values and what the definition of those values are. Oh, absolutely. So I want to get into ultra marathons and talk to me a little bit about your mindset and how you got into those and why. I, when I got done with playing baseball at Indiana State, I wanted to do something fun. So I texted my buddy uh Jacob Ivanich and I texted my now girlfriend Amy Fanella and I said hey let's uh let's do a marathon you guys want to do a marathon and they were both like well like that's always been on the bucket list so why not now and that's how I ran my first marathon then I was it was September of I think like 2016 or 2017 and I was sitting in my hammock on the on the lake in Chicago and I get a text from Brian Kane and he goes, Hey, I just signed up for a hundred mile marathon. Here's the link. Like you should join me. And I go, okay, fine. You know, and I just signed up for it right then and there. And then I was like, Oh man, <laughs> you always make these crazy decisions when you're nice and comfortable. Right. And you don't think about the future uncomfort that you're about to go through. And uh, so that's how I got into it. I signed up for it and then I just put together a plan and started knocking off the plan one day at a time. So when he sent you the message to sign up for that for the first time, what kinds of emotions were going through you? I mean, for me personally, when somebody says, hey, let's do this, my initial thought from a competitive side is, yes, I'm going to either tackle this or I'm going to be better than this other entity and whatever it is. Did you have any of that or was it just a free will of, okay, I'll try this? I think it was just wanting to challenge myself to do something really freaking hard that not a lot of people do. And there's a point in every athlete's life. Some people never get to this point, but there's a point in every athlete's life when they realize they do something and then it just clicks in their brain like that they can do anything they want to the rest of their life. All they have to do is make a decision. And I don't think I ever got that when I was growing up and kind of realizing that I could do anything I wanted to do. And I think that's what I was searching for a little bit was like something to challenge me to the point that I realized that like, okay, I don't need to do something this hard to, to know that I can 
do anything I want to do. But at the at mile uh, 76 in the 100 mile marathon, I put my hands on my knees and I almost I almost started crying because I was about to quit. And then I just started laughing. And my brother's like, "What are you laughing about?" Because he was he was um, my pacer at that moment. And he's like, what are you laughing about? I'm like, I just realized that I'm going to finish this. I'm never going to do this again. <laughs> and he's like, all right, well, then let's finish it. And that was kind of the moment that I realized that, you know, I could literally do anything that I put my mind to. Um, I just need to make the decision that I'm going to do it. And like I said, there's a point in every athlete's life where they realize that. And if they haven't gotten to it, I think they're kind of searching for it. They're the rest of their competitive life. Um, there's a there's an old story from University of Texas. There was a kid I can't remember his name right now. It was when Skip Johnson and Augie Garrido were there together. They had a kid that threw 12 shutout innings in, and they wound up winning the game in like the 20th or 21st inning. And he pitched the last 12 innings, perfect innings. He threw 169 pitches. And around the hundred pitch mark, the you know Skip and Augie were talking together, and they're like, okay, like he's at a hundred pitches, like he's pitched great, but you know, like who knows how much longer he can go. And he walks up to them. This pitcher walks up to both of them. And he goes, if you think you're taking me out of this game, you guys are crazy. There's no way I'm coming out of this game. And he, he's like, I'm gonna finish it. And he basically proved to himself in that moment. And good on Augie and Skip to notice that. Because he proved to himself in that moment that literally he can do anything he wants the rest of his life as long as he just puts his mind to it. 169 pitches, 12 innings of perfect pitching. Awesome. So you mentioned in there the decision, the decision to do whatever you want, the decision to finish that ultra marathon. You have the alternate side. Can you talk to me a little bit about the crutches that people use that inhibit them from making those decisions and ultimately achieving whatever it is that they want to achieve yeah the that like victim mindset blaming complaining defending all of that i mean if you're blaming others instead of taking extreme ownership you're never going to achieve what you want to achieve if you're complaining about everything day in and day out or even complaining about one thing in general like you're never going to get to what you want to get to uh, same thing if you're defending yourself. If somebody says, you know, if somebody's trying to hold your hold you accountable, and instead of you accepting what happened and taking responsibility for what happened, um, you know, you get defensive and say, oh, that's not my fault, you know, then again, it's going to be really, really tough to get to whatever it is that you want to do outcome goal wise and become the person that you want to be like long term goal wise, um, values driven goals and stuff like that. So you work with a lot of sports teams in a variety of different sports. What are some of the tools and things that you use to help teams achieve more, whatever it is that they're looking for? So I guess talk to me a little bit about what it is that you're doing with teams and why they seek your help. So the big ones are confidence and culture and then leadership. And then recently it's been a lot more communication stuff that's been going on. Uh, communication. I wrote a book, Ask More, Tell Less for Coaches with my co-author, Greg Warburton. And it's literally all about the how to communicate better. I think everybody says relationships are so important. Having a relationship with your, with your coaching staff, having a good relationship with your athletes is so important. But 
it's like how do we communicate better but nobody talks about communication skills nobody talks about you know listening to understand nobody talks about seeking curiosity before control nobody talks about the sentence stems that you can use to you know form a better question and really kind of unlock the the safe that is your athlete's mind or your coach's mind or bring down that firewall so that you can actually have a a vulnerable conversation and, and get better from it so communication's been a big one recently and then confidence as well so when it comes to confidence it really comes back to making the game simple and one thing that i've been talking about a lot lately is the one thought system that i came up with came up with with skip johnson at the head coach at university of oklahoma baseball and it really just gets down to thinking about one thing that's that's it when you're out there and it sounds so simple it sounds oversimplified but that's really what it is like you want to remove all the or you want to make you want to remove everything that's extra and just get it down to the most simple basic principles without removing any of the necessities and that's that's the one thought system so say you're a baseball player and you're up at the plate if you're thinking about anything other than one thought so just maybe it's driving the ball into the right center gap maybe it's just bringing your hands back towards the catcher maybe it's just staying balanced maybe it's just that feeling of explosiveness in your core right if you're thinking about more than one thing at a time you're not going to be as successful. And that's where, that's where athletes get overwhelmed. And, um, you know, they're thinking about so many things that they almost feel like they're thinking about nothing because their brain is caught up in this cyclone of words and, and images in their head. Then on the other hand, you have, so those are the athletes that are completely out of control. The, on the other hand, you have the ones that are in that quote unquote flow state. And so those people think they're thinking about nothing too. But really what's happening is that you're focused so intensely on just one thing you're focused on that ball coming out of the pitcher's hand or maybe if you're in basketball you're just focused on the rhythm of the game and you're just focused on that staying smooth um, in your jump shot or whatever it might be but um, yeah it really gets down to one thing and I would say that that's why teams seek me out is because I help them form a system that they can use to get better that is simple to to talk about and use and uh, kind of one more thing going off of that, like the mental game is really simple. Just implement systems and routines into your game and into your life. Now, the complex part is making that thing, routines and systems, making those two things new and talking about it in different ways over and over and over and showing a variety of different examples to your team so that you can hit everybody. Maybe you give one example and it hits with one guy. And then you have another example and it hits with another guy and that's what they're going to remember. But a lot of coaches want to make the mental game so hard. I mean, it's really not just implement routines and systems into your life, into your game. But yeah, you got to come up with a lot of different examples because everybody learns a different way. So I'm curious if the one thing is static and for their duration of their career, they're focused on that one thing or as they progress with their skill, does their one thing have the ability to pivot and change to something different? Yes, it does. And that's, that's the complex part as well. But the simple part is one thing. The hard part is like figuring out what that one thing is. So over time, a lot of athletes find that they're always thinking about the same thing, but, they, but they've never tracked it. 
So then they lose it and then they come back to it. They lose it and they come back to it. Then all of a sudden they realize, oh my gosh, I'm coming back to this over and over and over again. Why don't I just think about this all the time? So in baseball, it's, you know, like hitting a line drive up the middle. There's this kid, Kendall Pettis at University of Oklahoma, who like, that's all he thinks about when he's hitting well. And then he'll get away from it and he'll start trying to, you know, lift the ball over the left field fence or do something else. And then he won't be hitting well. And then he'll get back to line drive the middle. And the next thing you know, he's, he's on a tear again. So just little things like that. Whereas other athletes, maybe they're thinking about just seeing the ball, see the ball, see the ball, see the ball. But then all of a sudden they show up and that doesn't work anymore. Like seeing the ball is not helping them. So they'll change it. And, you know, maybe a coach, that's the importance of having a coach. Maybe the coach sees something in their swing. And the coach says, all right, like, hey, just get balanced on your backside a little bit more. Get that front foot down on time. And all of a sudden they switch their focus to staying balanced or to getting that front foot down a little bit earlier. And now all of a sudden they're on a tear again. So it's like, just stick with that one thought. That's obviously stacking you up and helping you compete and helping you achieve what you want to achieve. So stick with that. There's no need to go back to seeing the ball if uh, what's what you're thinking about right now works. So I'm curious if this one thing or the psychology approach to this lines up with skill set. Do you have to have a baseline skill set for these tools to apply? Or is this something that can be implemented at maybe a very young age? It can work with any age. And I mean, I, I remember when I first got started coaching and I would be given pitching lessons or hitting lessons and, you know, a kid would do something and I would cue them up on, let's say, their backside and pitching. And then all of a sudden I would say, okay. Like now do this, now do this. Next thing you know, we're working on three or four things at a time and we get done and it's like, okay, what'd you learn? And they're like, uh, you know, because we're working on one too many things at a time. Whereas if you're just focused on that one thing and making adjustments off of that one thing, you're going to get a lot better, a lot quicker. Okay, I'll move out of the sports psychology because I could probably talk to you for about four hours about some of those nuances. But when it comes to competing, whether it's with you trying to help an athlete and compete to help them improve or running a race, are you driven by the fear of losing or the joy of winning in that competition? This is a question I've been thinking about a lot lately, actually, because I, when I thought when I think about this question, I think about Mike Tyson and how when he was fighting and, you know, was the world champion, he fought out of fear and he talks about that he talks about how scared he was and and how he's had nightmares of this guy beating him and he's afraid as he walks towards the ring and you know what happened to him? he was in jail he bit a guy's ear off he was not happy and he openly talks about that now all he's about is gratitude joy love and in his last fight afterwards i've never seen if you go online and just type in like mike tyson recent uh, boxing match and you see him with that with that belt on his shoulder and he's got this just amazing smile on his face right like now he's fighting out of joy and love and he's great grateful for it and he loves it and so like that's what i think about a lot is fear the fear of losing i think can help you and um, it can get you through what you're trying to get through and it can motivate you to be great but i think in the long run it kind of destroys your um, fulfillment in sport. So in the short term, I think it's a great motivator. In the long run, though, I think there needs to be something deeper and it needs to be val it needs to be a little bit more value driven from uh, from yourself. I, I think about the Penn State wrestling team, right? The Penn State wrestling team, absolute dynasty the, the last decade. 
and their head coach, Kale Sanderson, his big thing is gratitude. That's all they practice is gratitude over and over and over and over and over again. And they're amazing. They're a great team, great culture. Whereas you look at the Iowa wrestling team from, um, um, what was that, the 90s or early 2000s, when they also won like nine championships out of 10, their team was a bunch of a bunch of thugs that went around and like, you know, they were getting in bar fights and, and all of that sort of stuff. So like, yeah, it, it motivated them. That fear of losing motivated them to be a great team and become a dynasty. But I don't know about you, but I would rather be a part of the culture that um, Sanderson's building at Penn state or has built at Penn state now. So when I was running, getting to me now, uh, I would say that I've always had a fear of failure and I didn't realize I had a fear of failure until about a year ago, actually. And then I was talking to one of my mentors and she asked, what's your definition of failure? And I go, oh my gosh, I don't even know what my definition of failure is. And she goes, okay, well, take a few days, you know, think about it. Don't get back to me today. Just think about it for the next few days and come up with one. And I go, okay. And I get back to her and I'm like, you know, my Fear of failure. Failure to me is not knowing what you want and then not doing what you have to do to get what you want. So exactly the opposite of success. And and I'm like, so there really should be no fear of failure for me because as long as I know what I want and I'm doing what I have to do to get what I want, then I'm like I should be fine, right? And literally that like lifted a monkey off my back um, because I then I now know what failure is to me which failure to me is not doing what I say I'm going to do. So you just mentioned something. You just made your mind up or decided about something and have a way forward with it. And I'm curious, just in general, something that you thought to be true that you've made your mind up about, what is something that you've changed your mind about recently that you previously believed to be ironclad? Off the top of my head, nothing comes to mind, I would say. But I think it's more just like reinforcing a lot of stuff that I teach gets reinforced over time. So that's, yeah, I would say, I don't know if I've necessarily changed my mind on anything recently, but I do talk to my girlfriend about this a lot is that like, we do have the ability to change our mind just because you say, I'm going to do this. If you then start doing it and you're like, man, this really isn't what I want to do. Like, it's okay to change your mind and shift directions. And uh, sometimes I think I get caught up in this. I say like, oh, if I'm doing this, like I need to finish it. But you don't have to. That's just a mindset. That's just a limiting belief you have that you have to finish what you start. Um, so yeah, you can change your mind though. So that's, I think what the what the question really is about. Like, do you have an example? I don't have an example right now where I've like changed my mind on something recently, but I do believe that like, it's okay to change your mind. You know, if you say like, you're going to stick with this diet for 90 days and then you go into the diet and you're like, man, this diet sucks. Like, I feel like trash. Like, why would you stick with it for 90 days? It's okay to get off of it. And so with that changing your mind, there's a balance between changing your mind to attack or approach something else or changing your mind because it's easier than what you were doing, right? 
And so like, for example, a diet, you can't get your weight under control and you just constantly keep changing your mind and you blame the diet rather than like taking ownership over your stake in what you were doing with it. And I think that's the big difference there that gets lost sometimes is you have to have ownership in it. You can quit or change your mind about something as long as there's valid reason and you're willing to take action rather than because it was too hard, it was difficult and it didn't come easily. And that's like you mentioned earlier, you have to take the action. Yeah. And I think that what you're basically talking about is like knowing your why, knowing the purpose behind something as well. You know, like if, for instance, I'm working with this girl named Sydney Brummett. She's on the PWBA, the pro women's bowling circuit. And she's changing a part of her physical game right now. She's gotten to the tour off of her previous physical game. Now she's changing up some of her mechanics and it feels super uncomfortable to her. She does not feel good doing it, but she knows that what she's doing is going to help her be more competitive and ultimately win more in the long run. So she's going to stick with it and see it through until it does start to feel comfortable because she understands the reason and the purpose for doing that. You mentioned a few times some of the teams and people that you're working with here. Can you give us some details on an upcoming project that you have and your motivation with accomplishing that project? Oh, yeah. The big one is, well, there's two, I guess. But the big one is I'm creating a membership site right now so that I can actually get this information out to whoever signs up for it. You know, So that is not out yet. It will be out here at the beginning of May. But that's sort of the big one is it's going to be filled with master classes. So like 45 to 60 minute classes. And uh, you can roll through all of them in a row if you want. It'll be set up sort of like a um, in a curriculum where you can run through the whole course and learn everything. And then there's also going to be like daily podcasts and videos that go out. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And then also live calls. So when I do podcasts, my podcast, the mental game powered by the basic performance group, when I do the podcast with coaches i'm going to do it live and stream it to the facebook group so you can catch us live and you can literally ask uh you know head coaches of power five teams questions while we're doing the podcast so that's going to be a lot of fun and then the second thing i'm doing is with the ask more tell less for coaches book greg warburton and i are running a coaching program a six-week coaching program for that and we're doing our first one right now we had week one this past sunday it was awesome and uh we're looking forward to really blowing that up because there's we talk about the shift in coaching philosophy away from the yelling and telling and reminding to creating self-reliant autonomous athletes that understand that whatever comes their way they can handle it and they can do it on their own but they don't have to so they function independently and interdependently which is critical to an athlete and a person achieving what they want to achieve in, in their sport and more importantly in life. Okay, awesome. I'll get you out of here on a fun question. So I need you to use your imagination a bit. If you go to open a refrigerator and you look inside that refrigerator and you had to pick one item inside that refrigerator that best identifies you, who you are as a person, what item would that be and why? Man, the first thing that came to mind was overnight oats. You ever had those? No. Oh, man. Overnight oats. It's basically just oats, rolled oats with almond milk, soaked in almond milk and coconut milk. And then you blend that up with a couple of dates and 
pinch of salt and some cinnamon and you just put it in the put it in the refrigerator and overnight it makes itself and then in the morning it's like healthy cereal basically but so i would say that like it's it's fun it tastes good and um it's also healthy so i like to I like to be healthy but i also like to eat well and energize myself and be you know a, a little ball of energy so i would say that overnight oats is what i would that's out. it and we got a recipe in the process i love that all right tyler thanks for coming on a competitive mindset no problem thank you for having me next time on competitive mindset one of the hardest things in the world right is to take words to works Competitive Mindset Music was produced by DJ Jojo Moore, and all images were created by Elena Keel. Be sure to subscribe, rate, leave a review, and follow us at Competitive Pod.